Good morning. How are we all doing today? Yeah, don't sound too convinced. Should we try that again? How are we all doing today? Great. Bit of enthusiasm never went amiss. Um, we are going to be returning to our Luke series today. Great. I'm glad you're excited about that as well. <coughs> um, we've had a little break over the summer um, and we're going to get back to it today. Uh, just a little catch-up, we're, today we're coming to the end of chapter 7, where we've just been recently uh, in this chapter. It's kind of been a real chapter about faith, really. Um, it started with uh, great faith from the centurion and his servant being healed, and then uh, John the Baptist ha- having doubt, really, and sort of wavering a bit in his faith about who Jesus was when he sent his um, disciples along to Jesus saying, Are you the Messiah? Uh, that we've been expecting, or should we look for another? And then um, they kind of finished off where Jesus was kind of confronting this, um, the hypocrisy of the generation where they were rejecting John the Baptist for his strict eating habits, um, and also then rejecting Jesus, calling him a drunkard for drinking wine. Um, and today, uh, it's a kind of well-known verse, um, and it's interesting, and we're going to read it together. So we're going to go from verse 36, Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man who were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, with which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. So it's a I think you'll agree, you've probably heard this verse before if you've read the Bible a little bit. Um, Even if you haven't, you may have heard of this story. 
And the story starts, if we go back to the beginning, um, from verse 36, starts with the Pharisee, who we later know further down as Simon, invites Jesus round for a meal. And as we read on, it probably wasn't the warmest of receptions. He didn't do those things because they weren't, he wasn't obliged to, but he was probably sussing Jesus out. And it says, Jesus reclined at the table. Now, if you're not aware of kind of eating habits back then, he wasn't, Jesus just didn't rock up and sort of just lay down at the table. The tables were lower than, than we have today. Um, I was reading this to my children um, over the last week or so, and um, some of them now have tried to recline at the table. And then I, when I tell them to sit up, they say, well, we're just trying to be like Jesus, Dad. <coughs> it, the Bible tells us we should be Christ-like. And I said, no, it's a different table. Sit up and eat your dinner, because the Bible says, obey your mother and father. So don't be smart with me. <coughs> so I don't know where they get it from, to be honest. But... Um, <coughs> So the tables were lower, and Jesus would have been on this kind of couch-like thing when he reclined at the table, and they would, they would sort of lean with one elbow on the table and reach over and eat with the other. So when he reclined, he didn't just you know, rock up, like, I've got a bench at my table, and just lay on, on the bench. He didn't do that. Jesus had good manners. Um, so that's how it was when he says he reclined at the table. It's likely as well that the house... The, some, some houses were built with a courtyard, around a courtyard, and sometimes they would eat in the courtyard. And people would come in and see who was eating, guess the door would be left open. So people could see who was eating. Come and see this famous person who's eating in my house. Um, so when this uninvited guest comes in the next verse, um, this is not a hugely unusual occurrence. It's not like you're just sitting down eating with your family and all of a sudden, you know, someone just turns up. You're like, how did they get in? It's very different from that. Just a very different setup, just to kind of give you the background to this. And we note right from the start that Jesus has accepted the invite to the Pharisee's house. The people that have already shown him opposition. I can just hear some alarms going off, so it must be 11.02. It's 11.02, which reminds me that I hope you've been enjoying our 21 days of prayer campaign. I was going to say this at the beginning. I started reading and thinking there was going to be something I was going to say at the beginning, but I'd forgotten. But the 21 days of prayer. We are now in day 15 of our 21 days of prayer, and we've got six days left to do that. So we've been praying, if you're not aware... For, in our, for 21 days for three people that we know to come to faith, to know Jesus, uh, and for the UK. And we've had prayer meetings throughout these three weeks. That's what those alarms were about. Anyway, back to the story. So, Jesus has accepted the invite, and he's making himself available to all types of people. Now, the Pharisees were really rejecting Jesus, giving him a hard time, but he still accepts the invite. Jesus loved to eat with people. I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> he knew it was a great way to connect with people and to share a meal with someone is something special. We should use our meal times for the glory of God. For lots of different reasons, to connect with our family, to connect with our children, our spouse, with each other, with the church, with our neighbors. It's a really good time to sit around a dinner table and connect with people. And Jesus knew that. 
He knew how to connect with people, and so, would, so should we. I, I love to use dinner time to just try and connect with my family. I have three children um, and, and a wife, and uh, I love to try and connect with them. And we sit around the table, we talk about our day, um, and we talk about all sorts of things we, to get my kids talking, because it's not always easy to get children speaking. You might know that. And we, we go through what was the best and worst bit of our day. Just a little thing to get, our to get them talking. Sometimes we do a little devotional. We've got a book that we're working through. It's called All Together, where there's a verse at the beginning. Some uh, husband and wife make a comment each. There's some questions. And it just gets us all talking about stuff just around the dinner table, if you can, if you have children, if you have family, if you have friends, if you can, whenever you can, sit around the dinner table as often as you can and talk to them, try and engage with them. It's really important that we do that. Simon invited Jesus into his house. How often do you invite Jesus into your home? How often do you open the Bible together with people in your home? Worship? Or do you just talk about menial things? Talk about work? Talk about what you've got for dinner? Talk about what's on TV? No, I think it's really important that we invite Jesus into our home. Talk about deep and meaningful spiritual things. Sometimes me and my wife Gemma will watch a sermon together or we'll talk about stuff. I'll bore her with what I'm going to talk about on Sunday. Um, it's good to talk about deep and meaningful things, not just menial things. So, let's move on. Uh, verse 37, and the, the main figure, other than Jesus, obviously, enters the story. Behold, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. She enters the house with this alabaster jar. Alabaster was kind of a soft stone which was used to carry uh, perfume or ointment. And Luke really goes into detail. In verse 38, it says, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So we know Jesus was reclined at the table and his feet would have been behind him. So she wasn't like under the table or anything, you know, it wasn't weird. Um, she goes to great lengths to pour out her love and affection. She realizes she is in the presence, in the presence of God, in the person of Jesus. It's likely that she would have had a previous encounter with Jesus because she heard he was there and she went to pour out this offering. She was desperate to get close to him. Um, and the tears are significant as well. The word used here to describe this kind of uh, crying and washing of feet is the word breko in Greek, and it describes, this, it's the same word used to describe rain showers. So this isn't kind of whimpering, what we're talking about here when we're talking about tears. And I know whimpering, I've got three kids. Kids whimper. Um, she is in awe, she's amazed at who she can draw close to. And, and the kiss as well, the kiss is also intense. It's the same verb, katafileo, used for the same kiss as the father in the prodigal son. When the son returns, it's the same word used. It's the same kiss as the elders upon Paul's farewell in Ephesus. So this 
kissing, this anointing of the feet is deep, deep reverence for Jesus. So this woman has come in and she's changed the mood a bit at the dinner party. I don't know if you've ever had one of those evenings where you've gone around someone's house or you've gone out and it hasn't quite worked out how you thought it might. Or, you know, they bring the food out and, you know, there's no meat in the dish, that sort of thing. Or, um, or someone makes a bad joke, that sort of thing. I remember once uh, Gemma and I w- went around someone's house for dinner to try and get to know these people and it was all going okay and they brought the food out. And then just as we were about to eat, these two grown adults put aprons on to eat dinner just so they didn't get food over themselves. And they said they didn't want to get dirty, and I'm thinking, this is the tidiest house I've ever seen. I can't imagine you... Anyway, it got, I just thought, well, this just got weird. So I was just trying not to say stuff. It was a bit like this, but, but worse, really. So the woman's come in and changed the mood, and Simon doesn't like it. He starts to reveal where his heart is really at. We start to see the two opposing sides really, of where the woman who is completely mournful of her sin before a holy God, and Simon, who is thinking, who is this woman? If Jesus really knew who she was, he reveals where he's really at, actually, with Jesus. He might think, "Mm, good teacher, maybe, possibly prophet, but no, not God. He's trying to assess who Jesus is. And Jesus knows this. He knows if you're here today assessing who Jesus is. He knows about it. It's good to ask genuine, heartfelt questions. That's why you should come on Alpha if you want to ask genuine, heartfelt questions. But he is not one to be assessed. He is the king of glory. And you only get so far trying to assess him before you have to bow the knee. It's good to try and work stuff out before you give your life to him. But sooner or later, you've got to bow the knee. Verse 39. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And it is most likely that she was a prostitute when it says she was a woman of the city. That's probably what that means. Simon wouldn't want to be touched by this woman. She would have made him unclean, ceremonially unclean, and he didn't want that. Jesus shows he knows what's going on. He knows even Simon's thoughts. And then Jesus starts to tell this parable about debt. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Now, a denarii was about a day's wage for your average sort of labourer. One debt was ten times more than the other. One was about two months' wages, one was about twenty. Jesus asked Simon, which one will love him more? Simon gives the obvious answer. Well, the one almost with disdain, the one I suppose with the larger debt. Not massively astute, really. Um, I've read quite a few commentaries on this, and it says that Simon astutely answers. And I thought, well, I've read this to my kids, and they work this out. So he wasn't that astute. (laughs) 
I mean, they're bright kids, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But Simon's kind of being cautious. He knows, he's heard about Jesus. Jesus can give surprising answers. He doesn't want to get caught out. And then in verse 44, he turns to the woman whilst addressing Simon. And he contrasts the two people. The contrast between Simon and the woman. Simon thought he might be a good prophet, a good kind of ethical person. Jesus is saying to Simon, well, you haven't even, you haven't kissed my feet. This is transforming. This is passion from this woman. Jesus shows who he is. He knows exactly what Simon's thinking. And he shows that he's really a prophet and more. Simon thinks Jesus is a prophet. She sees that he's come to pay for her sin, for her price for not living right. That's what she sees. Simon's looking at, from a distance, the woman is pouring out her life. She knows, she, like it says in Isaiah, that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors for our sake. Simon's not pouring out because he doesn't think he's that bad. He is a slave to his own self-righteousness. He's looking down his nose at her. But she's free. She's free. She doesn't care what anyone thinks. And Simon is like what people can be like today. They think, well, they're not that bad. You know, I'm not that bad. And maybe Jesus, well, maybe he's a good man. But when it comes to needing a saviour, when it comes to admitting that you have a debt to pay, oh, that's a different matter. And they'll never have a passionate faith like the woman. There will never be a letting down of the hair. She knows Jesus is the most important. She knows that his love is the most desirable. She knows that only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can show grace. Only Jesus can show mercy and give everlasting life. Only Jesus is going to pay the price for all our sin so that we can have all that debt cancelled against us. See, Simon, he can only focus on the sinner's past, on the woman's past. Jesus prefers to see the potential. The potential that love and forgiveness possess for changing a person's heart. And I believe that as Christians we need to be aware of this. Be aware of lost and broken people coming in. We aren't just trying to reach the middle classes. We don't just want to reach people that are like us. People that maybe know how to behave in a certain way. I've referenced these guys before, but uh, when I lived in Suffolk, we reached a certain group of guys and... We kind of poured our life into them for a bit and they came through, they came to know Jesus. But man, it was hard work. They didn't behave like us. When We fed them, we taught them, not just the Bible, we taught them just general life skills, like get a job, you know, wash on a regular basis, brush. T- Genuinely, this is what it was like. They came around my house, I fed them, I gave them money. They didn't appreciate it. That's not why I was doing it. I wasn't doing it for their appreciation. I was doing it because I wanted to see them become like the image of Jesus. They swore. 
But unless they have the power of the Holy Spirit in them, allowing him to change them, you can't expect people to behave in a certain way. And we mustn't, mustn't get too sensitive about people who aren't Christians, about how they speak, how they behave. We could, I think the longer we've been Christians, the harder it can be, actually. Do you know, some people have been lost for a very long time. We find it hard to be around people who are different from us, who don't live according to biblical principles. But we need to, need to be able to relate to the lost, to the broken, to the destitute, the hurting, the poor, the sick. We know here, Jesus doesn't run from darkness. In order for the light to shine into the darkness, it needs to engage the darkness. In order for the light to shine into the darkness, it needs to engage the darkness. I was talking to Gemma the other day about this, and for some reason we were talking about the classes, middle class, and she tried to infer that I was middle class, and I, all of a sudden I turned into this cockney wide boy. I was like, I ain't working class. I'm not middle class, girl. I'm working class. I'm one of the people. You don't know me. I'm from the street. She was like, Ian, you work for a church in Sevenoaks. <laughs> it's like, you don't know. You don't know, girl. <clears throat> I don't normally talk to her like that. But, <clears throat> but we need to see people outside of Christ not for who they are now, but for who God could make them. And we should be very careful on making judgments on people who are outside of the kingdom. And we should use our words to bless and not to curse. It's so easy today in the world of social media to comment, to give our own opinion. It's so easy to give our own opinion today. Everyone wants to give their own opinion. But be careful about demonizing people or politicians on social media. I don't believe that is God's heart. Great to stand against injustice, fight against poverty, good things like that. But learn to tame the tongue when it comes to commenting on people. So, moving on. Jesus address, addressing Simon, he says... I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus is now highlighting what it really means to be mournful of your sin. And she is truly mournful. What she's doing is outrageous, actually. It is outrageous in this culture. And what she is doing, she would never have done for free. If a married woman let her down, hair down in public, it could be grounds for divorce. And she would never have done this for free. It is likely that she would have broken the bottle. It probably was a little bottle like this that she may have hung around her neck. 
and she would have had to break the bottle because she would have hung it around her neck for the smell to get out, and that's what would have attracted people, the aroma coming out. She would have had to break the bottle for the, for the ointment to get out. She's giving everything to Jesus. And Simon's thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I've had moments like that myself through my Christian life, especially at the beginning, truly realizing my condition before a holy God. And I've told this story before, so forgive me, but I remember in the early days of being a Christian and playing football, I was very competitive and slightly aggressive. Um, And I remember having a bit of a battle in with this guy playing football and I just turned around and punched him in the side of the head because I thought, well, this would put him off. And it did. <clears throat> but then I realised, oh, God, I don't do that anymore. I don't behave like that anymore. That's how I would sort of assert my authority on maybe a game of football and maybe in other areas of life as well. I realised I don't do that anymore. I remember then coming into worship and realizing the extent and the power of Jesus' forgiveness. I was just in pieces. I was so far from him. I used to take his name in vain all the time. I was a heavy drinker. I used to get in fights, take drugs. I lied. I realized I had been totally forgiven and set free. And I was just in floods of tears like this woman before a holy God. I realized I needed forgiveness of a saviour. And I had to put him first. Put everything down and put him first. And if you're like Simon, you think, well, I don't have a large debt. I didn't do those things. Jesus could be a teacher. The Bible tells you, if you think like that, that you're without hope. If you take Jesus, God, out of the equation, it doesn't help, actually. It merely removes all meaning and purpose and morality from the mess that we're in. And it takes away any hope for the future. When someone dies or suffers, it's final without God. But if he's true, if he's real, like it says in 2 Corinthians 4, we are in momentary affliction which is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. That's what awaits us. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Sounds all right, doesn't it? You might might not think, well, you're not that bad. You've only got a small debt to pay, but you still have a debt to pay because it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We're all in need of saving. You might not have been like me. You probably weren't as bad as me. You all look like a pretty decent bunch. (laughs) But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All need saving. Notice Jesus doesn't say to the woman, no, no, don't do that. Come on, get up, you're all right. No, he says, her sins, which are many, they are forgiven. Sin matters and there's a debt to pay. And when we come to Jesus, our debt is paid. It is cleared. 
When you repent of your sins before Jesus, your debt has been paid and your guilt is taken away. It's dealt with. If you've confessed your sins to him, don't keep going back to it because it's already been dealt with. Jesus is like, well, I don't really know what you're talking about if you keep going back to those things. That's a struggle that I had in my, in my Christian life. It's already been dealt with. Don't keep going back to it. That's why things like freedom in Christ are really helpful to help you move forward because you're free from that if you've confessed your sin. He's saying you're a new creation. So mourn your sin, repent of them, and worship him. That's what happens when you realize your condition before a holy God. You've really forgiven me. You've really set me free. I am now a slave of righteousness. Righteousness, not a slave of sin. You become a deeply relieved and extravagant worshiper like this woman. Even if you're here today and you're thinking, well, you don't know what I've done. I just say, it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. See, this isn't, a, it, this isn't a gathering of the great and the good here. This is a gathering of the broken who can admit their state before God. Even if you've grown up in a Christian home, I think sometimes you can fall into that trap of thinking, well, I haven't done much wrong. I might just see what's on the other side. Don't. I just urge you now, don't. I've seen both sides of life. You don't know where it will lead to and you don't know where you'll come out the other side. It's a privilege to grow up in a Christian home. And if you think, well, you know, I don't have that big, huge debt to pay. I've done some stuff wrong. Well, he may not have shown you so much grace for the larger debt, but he has shown you so much mercy from keeping you from that larger debt. He has shown you mercy from keeping you from that larger debt. I am forgiven. I am set free. I don't go back to those things that I did, but I can still remember them occasionally. I still have flashbacks about stuff. But God has shown you mercy if you have a smaller debt. We mustn't also get confused about some of these verses at the end where it says that her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. She hasn't been forgiven because she's loved much. Because we could get, that's a dangerous ground to fall into because you could then be saved for the strength of your love. You are saved on the object of your faith, not how much you love. Her forgiveness isn't based on because she loved. Uh, This love that she's showing is rather evidence that she has been forgiven. There's cause and effect here. The cause is forgiveness and her love is the effect. And Jesus makes it clear at the end of the story what has saved her. Because he says at the end, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Overflowing love is the natural response to forgiveness and the appropriate consequence of faith. Do you understand? Overflowing love is the natural response to forgiveness and the appropriate consequence 
of faith. Moving on, verse 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus causes a storm. Now, he really shows who he is when he says he forgives sin. Because only he has the power to forgive. The woman's realized it. The grace of God has gotten into her. She's free. Free to sin no more. And whenever Jesus said that, people started to get a bit moody. Who is Jesus to forgive? People used to say that to me when I first became a... Who's Jesus to forgive you? You've done too much for him to forgive you. That's how he can forgive. And I used to doubt, I used to start to doubt, but then I'd remember God has dealt with all my sin and shame on the cross. Who is Jesus to forgive? He's the Messiah. He's the promised one that would come. He's the Christ. He's the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. This is what he came for. There's no one else that does this. No one else that has the authority to do this. There's no one else that has the power to do this. There's no one else that lived a perfect life and then laid down their life for yours. This is Jesus, the one, the only, the only one who will give you eternal life. There is is salvation in no other name than in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? No one, he said, Jesus, no one can come to the Father except through me. Your faith has saved you. Believe in him. When you know this, when you get this into your heart, you have an overflow like this woman. Do you want to be like Simon? Or do you want to be like the woman? Giving everything to him. Free from worrying about what everyone else thinks. Have an overflow I've already done this once today, but you can come to him today if you don't know him. And all you have to do is just say three things. Sorry, thank you, please. And I'm I'm just going to pray now. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. And if you want to just ask Jesus into your life, if you want your eternity to be secure, if you want a peace that surpasses all understanding, if you want to know the creator of the heavens and the earth and know him and speak to him and him speak back to you, then you can pray these words. Lord, I am sorry for what I've done and for where I've been. And for rejecting you. Thank you that you lived the life I should have lived and you died for me on the cross. Please now come into my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and by the help of your Spirit, help me follow you. Amen. Amen. So, how much are you willing to give to him? Do you want to be like Simon?
Just let Jesus in for a little bit. Come to him with begrudging necessity. Or do you want to pour out your life as an offering of praise? Let's come to him with awe and devotion. Let's stand and pray as we end. Jesus, why don't you just, if you want to just receive from him, why don't you just put your hands out. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you that you accept us for who we are. We don't have to attain a certain level of behavior. You just accept us as we are. Lord, help us pour out our lives as an offering to you. Let our lives be a daily act of worship to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you forgive us, you set us free, you make us new in your sight, you give us hope, hope that goes beyond the grave. Thank you that we could sing that, like we did this morning, the grave has no hold on me. Thank you, Jesus, that we are free, who the sun sets free is free indeed. We thank you, Jesus. Help us live this week, Lord, free, free from sin and free to worship you. And pour out our lives as an offering to you. Because you are so worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to draw our meeting to a close now. If you're interested in doing Alpha, uh, you've got friends. Uh, we've got a sign-up sheet at the back. Um, stick your name and email down and we'll contact you. Uh, we've got prayer ministry team available as well. If you want to have anything prayed for. Um, and we're going to have tea and coffee now, so uh, stick around and get to know you. If you're a visitor, I just want to say it's really good to see you. You'd be really welcome to stick around. <laughs>